me not being good enough is my biggest excuse to not serve God. God doesn't need me. He's got a lot of other people doing his work. I sometimes make the excuse that what I do or say isn't going to make a difference anyway. My kids are too young. I'm just trying to take care of my family right now. That concept ring a bell for anybody? How many people are here are good at uh, making excuses? Raise your hand up really, really high. All right, awesome. Yeah, many of us, right? Excuses are something that are really common and it's kind of comical to take a look at, especially some kids and some of the excuses that they make when, when caught in a pinch. I gathered a few items here that I want to show to you. These are children that their excuse was, I didn't understand the question. I didn't understand the homework. And these are some of the answers that they came up for, for a few of these questions. Check this out. Why are there rings on Saturn? Because God liked it, so he put a ring on it. Very witty, but probably not the right answer. All right, let's check out this next one. Right, greater than or less than. Kind of goes along with our series, what we're talking about, right? Greater than, all right. Let's check this next one out. Find X. Here it is. I would encourage all of you, don't, don't try this, all right? We're not, you know, condoning this type of thing, but go ahead. Hard and soft water. Briefly explain what hard water is. Ice. Ice, ice, baby. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, rice, rice, baby. That's our, that's our theme song for Matt over here, Matt Rice, yeah. Some of you new people are like, who is that guy and why are they doing all this? Rice, rice, baby. Love it. All right, this next one, check this out. The diagram below best illustrates E, giraffes are heartless creatures. You see what's going on here? You got the little baby giraffe, can't quite get it. Next one, baby giraffe, awfully sick. Next one, baby giraffe, no more. (laughs) Giraffes are heartless creatures. I didn't understand the question. I tried my best. You can't, you know, get me in trouble for that, right? Excuses. I tell my kids a lot, excuses are like armpits. We all have them, and they all stink. Except for mine, of course. But anyway, we we know about excuses, right? We can connect with this. And a lot of us, even in the adult world, we've had moments where we're caught in a pinch, and you have to say something. you got to somehow justify what you've done. I wanted to bring this story to you. The last time I got a speeding ticket, was in the year 2000. I was hoping everybody would erupt in applause right then and there. What, a, what an honorable, noble, law-abiding pastor we have. All right, 15 years ago, and I'm hoping that, you know, none of this changes, but 15 years ago is the last actual ticket that I got, and it was after school, and I was a, working as a student pastor at, a time, at that time, and I'm driving down Kildare Farm Road, actually on my way to meet with a couple of guys for discipleship. Sure enough, there's that cop, lights go on, oh my word, you know, and pull over, and so he comes out, why are we going so fast, sir? You know, they're always so polite to you, and I'm like, well... Uh, I'm a pastor, you know, I played the pastor card at a time like that when, you know, 
So I'm a pastor trying to better our society. And actually, I'm so sorry, sir, that I was going a little fast. I'm actually on my way right now to meet with two young, troubled high school young men trying to pour into the next generation with some adequate, you know, supervision. And this is a true story. Actually, one of those guys I was going to meet, David Amen. One of our staff guys here at uh, Northwest Community Church when he was in high school, true story. Um, and he said, well, you're going too fast. And here, teach them this lesson when you go meet with them and explain to them the importance of following rules. Thanks, sir. Anyway, excuses, that one didn't work. But we all know what they are. And this morning, what we wanna dive into as part of this greater series is the narrative of what happens when God is calling you into something great and you can't help but come up with some excuses. So we're gonna talk about uh, the life of Moses here this morning. It's such a fun, great story for us. So turn in your Bibles or on your handheld electronic devices to the book of Exodus chapter three. We're gonna be in Exodus chapter three and chapter four the whole time. So we're gonna park right there as we dive into this idea that God is greater than excuses. Now the story of Moses is an incredible story. I love talking about the backdrop of where we find him at this very moment. Where we find him right here is on the backside of a place called Mount Horeb, which is called the Mountain of God. Later on, it was also known as Mount Sinai. So that should ring a bell for you. If you've been around church for a while, know a little bit about Old Testament history and the Exodus, you know that's where Moses brought back all of the people of Israel. That's where he got the Ten Commandments and everything else. Very significant location. But here's Moses, and at this point in his life, Moses is approximately 80 years old. And Moses is a shepherd Moses is married, he's got kids, he's probably got grandkids tooling around. And Moses is pretty much at the sunset years of his life, right? He's happy to just watch the sunset over the mountains and see the little sheep, you know, around and see his grandkids hanging out. He's got his wife there and they have dinner together every night and it's just the good life for Moses. And what we're going to see happen here is out of nowhere, God is going to displace Moses. We're going to see a displacement happen here. I don't know if every, any, any of you here have been to a camp or been to a big lake where they've got one of those big things called a blob. We take the students here to Lake Ann Camp in Michigan and they got a huge blob, 25 or 30 yards wide and there's a big platform and some big fella gets up there and some poor little souls down there at the end of the blob like just sitting there not really knowing what's gonna happen next and you jump off and you land on this giant huge pillow and you know what happens. When you land, all of a sudden this person over here is propelled into the air, displaced from the force of your landing. And what we're going to see happen here is that the life of Moses, all of a sudden, it was calm. He's just sitting there at the end of this spiritual blob of his life. And he's just hanging out, looking up at the blue skies and everything else. And the weight of the glory of God is going to come down and totally propel him into something that he was not expecting. And it's vitally important that we understand the context of what's going on here in Moses' life. 
Okay, again, he's 80 years old. So he had been out here in the wilderness being just kind of a sheep herder and stuff for about 40 years, like we said. And you remember what happened 40 years before that. Moses fled from Egypt. You remember the story? Perhaps you've seen the movies. And it's funny because most of the movies that we see depicting Moses in that scene in Egypt. You remember the cartoon one, the Prince of Egypt way way back when? And then you got the Ten Commandments. And then you've got uh, Gods and Kings. I don't know if you've seen that one. But they always depict Moses at this moment as like some really good looking, you know, 20-year-old guy. Right? When all of this happened, Moses was 40 when he fled Egypt. Okay, so he wasn't some young spring chicken. All right, nothing against 40. I'm knocking on 40's door here in a couple of months, and I've still got a lot of my life in front of me, right? But I've also lived a lot of my life. I just think that here was Moses growing up in the courts of Pharaoh. You remember the story as an Israelite, as a Hebrew, incognito, Because his mother, you know, when the decree was given to kill all the Hebrew boys because the Pharaoh was threatened that the Hebrews would have an uprising because they were in slavery, in bondage for hundreds of years and the Hebrews were starting to grow and get bigger and bigger and the people were starting to populate and they said, that's it, we're going to take all the newborn Hebrew males and we're going to kill them. We can't have any more potential warriors rising up. We want to keep these people as our slaves. And so that was the awful decree that was given. So Moses' mother, you know, put him in this little basket and set him out on the river, just very carefully knowing that there was going to be one of the the daughters of Pharaoh that was there. And she found him and said, oh, it's a sweet little baby. I'm going to bring this baby in and we're going to take care of this baby. And Moses grew up in the courts of Pharaoh even as a Hebrew, until he was 40. So you remember the story? Moses was overcome by emotion as he knew that he was a Hebrew and he saw the Egyptians beating the slaves and went and came to their rescue and invigorated like justice. I'm going to come. I'm going to do something that I wouldn't normally do. He's overtaken by wanting justice. And you know the story. Things escalated very quickly. And he ended up killing one of the Egyptians. And that's where he found himself in that plight. Because of the energy, because of the passion, because of the zeal, he did something that he normally perhaps wouldn't have done. But he saw the situation and the adrenaline was flowing. (laughs) I got a quick little tale that I want to tell you that's so fresh. This is less than two weeks ago, okay? I had a similar opportunity. I didn't kill anybody. But here I was, we had just had wings with a bunch of dudes and we were heading over to watch a movie. And it was one of those inspiring, like man, like kind of movies. And so already we were, we were talking about the idea of like being a man and like, yeah, we need to be bold and we need to be strong. And like, we're having a man's night tonight. And so we were there at the Buffalo Wild Wings and got into my car and everybody was driving over to the theater And everybody drove separately, so I'm just in my car, and I'm just excited about, you know, life. And all of a sudden, I see this woman, probably about 25 years old, go booking it out of this store, like running as fast as she possibly can, right? Like right in front of me. So I'm like, 
hmm, that's weird. I wonder if somebody's in trouble. Like she looked like she was a mom, like running to her young toddler, like injured or like that kind of urgency on her face. I'm like, well, that's really weird. Like ran right in front of my Jeep and kept on running. And all of a sudden I see this other car turn on that was backed into a parking spot and the door flips open and she dives in there. I'm like, hold on a second. So I had stopped, you know, like seeing if I can help. Because remember what mode I'm in, like, so I'm like, huh? So I, I look back over, and sure enough, I see the manager of this store come booking it out, yelling and chasing. I'm like, that girl just stole something from the store. She had this massive bag, by the way, that she was toting. And so I'm like, this is not right. So I'm in my Jeep, and I'm feeling pretty invincible. So I like pull over, like this car turned on. I pulled over and I pulled right up in front of that car. And this girl's boyfriend or husband or something starts honking at me and like she like takes her seat and goes straight back like she doesn't want to be seen. I'm sitting, this is going down. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there and I'm right in front and I'm, I'm blocking this guy in and he's like, and I'm like, I ain't moving. And the managers come running, you know. So this guy puts it in reverse, backs up like over the curb, turns his wheels and squeals out the opposite way. There wasn't any other cars close to him. Otherwise, we would have really had ourselves a nice little tussle. But he backs up and squealed out. And thankfully, the manager at that point was there and got the license plate and everything. And I was like, my blood was pumping. I'm like, I was very brave right there. So anyway, the point is that like you get in that situation and the adrenaline starts pumping and you want to do what's right and you want justice. And that's what happened with Moses 40 years ago to a much deeper level, obviously. He was trying to defend his brothers, the people that he loved. And so this situation happened and the matter had become known. And so now Moses, this well-respected, you know, growing up in Pharaoh's court, all of a sudden had become the outlaw. The matter had become known. He killed an Egyptian soldier. Even if it wasn't self-defense, none of that mattered. He killed an Egyptian soldier. So the last the people of Egypt saw of Moses, he was running as fast as he could away from the problem, away from the consequences, away from where God had put him. And he ended up out in the wilderness watching cattle, having a family. The quietness of the days passed him by year after year after year after year. And so now at this point, we find him at 80 years old. And it's so incredible to think about as you study Moses that his life is truly separated into three segments, all of 40 years. First 40 in Egypt, second 40 out in the wilderness as a shepherd. And the last 40 was going to be as a deliverer and a savior to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel. So God, at this point, is meeting Moses out in the wilderness on the backside of Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses was there all by himself looking up at the stars. Who knows what he was thinking? Who knows what he was praying but the narrative unfolds here in the beginning of Exodus chapter 3 that Moses is there and all of a sudden he hears a voice. 
and he sees a strange sight. He sees a, a bush that is on fire, a small tree that is on fire. And Moses says to himself, huh, I think I will go see this strange sight. Gotta love that we're privy to the dialogue that he had there. Ah, oh, what is this? So he goes over and it's not burning. It's burning, but it's not burning. It's not being consumed. It's not getting crispy. It's not stopping. And all of a sudden, out of the bush comes the voice of God that says, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the bush was not consumed. And Moses, who was familiar with the wilderness, knows it like, well, every other fire that I've seen has to have a start. It's got to have kindling. It's got to have some straw. It's got to have some, you know, wood on it. And we set it on fire and it's got to have a start and it's got to have an ending. It, it ends, it stops. But this sight that I'm seeing had no stopping to it. It is not being consumed. It is self-propelling. And that was a beautiful picture of God to Moses saying every other fire that has started has been started and ending. I am not ending. I am self-propelling, self-perpetuating. I am fueling myself. I don't need anybody else to fuel me. I am fueling myself. And I love, if, as we dive into the text here, the dialogue between Moses and between God. And let's pick it up in verse 7. It says this, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. If you have a pencil or a pen or man, if you've got your tablet there, I want you to highlight a couple words. I have surely seen the affliction of my people, underline that, who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have Come down to deliver. Underline that. So here God is saying, I've seen, I've heard, I know, and I have come down to deliver. This great self-perpetuating God that's got no beginning and that's got no end is saying, I am aware, I am on it. Notice he identifies himself earlier on as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In other words, he's saying to Moses, I have been around for a long time. And I have now heard the cries of my people. And I am going to do something about it. And by the way, Moses, verse 10, come, I will send you to Pharaoh. I've seen it, I'm aware, I'm observant, I know, I care. I'm gonna do something about it. Oh, and by the way, I wanna use you. I wanna displace you from your comfort, from your lifestyle, and draw you up into something big and amazing. There's a, there's a Greek word for time that's called kairos. There's two Greek words for time. One is chronos, and that's minutes and seconds and hours and days. That is measured time. But then there's also another word for time that's called kairos. And that means a moment in time. Not measured, but a moment, a watershed moment, an incredibly invigorating moment that you can think back onto on your life where something changed 
And maybe for you, it was that moment that you met Jesus. We got a student here that just went on our, on our uh, winter retreat a couple weeks ago. He had a Kai Ross moment when he realized that this God is real and this Jesus loves me and I want to surrender everything I have to him. Your life's going to change. Moses, at this point, had a Kairos moment as he heard from God and as God said, I am going to displace and propel you to do something totally different with your life. So maybe for some here, the word that you need to walk away from is that, at 80 years old. Maybe there are some here, the reason you live to carry an apex in Morrisville and you know, the reason that you moved here was because, man, this is, this is the retirement years, man. This is the good life, the weather and the golf courses, and this is awesome. Realize that at 80 years old, God said, nope, I've got something much bigger that I want to accomplish and I want to do it through you. So Moses, just like any of us, is going to be full of resistance, right? You ever had that moment where you feel like God's really calling you to do something, but you're just kind of weighing all the options like, man, I don't know, it's going to be hard, and I just don't know if I want to do it. Well, Moses was a man just like us. And we're going to talk about three different excuses that Moses had of why he didn't want to be used by God. So if you're taking notes, we've just really simply laid it out. Three different excuses that, uh, that, that, that Moses made. The first one that we want you to write down is Moses says, I am not confident. I am not confident. Start, pick it up in verse 11 of the story right after God said, hey, I'm gonna do all this stuff. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna send you verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt that you shall serve me on this mountain. You shall serve God on this mountain. Moses says, uh, I am not confident. Who am I, God? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I know you know me and I know you, but think about my history, Moses is saying. That 40 years in Egypt, well, I ended that with a big fat fail. This 40 years that we've been out in the wilderness, man, it's been really sweet. It's been nice with my grandkids bouncing on my knee while I'm sipping my sweet tea. But I am by no means ready to go and do this and go back to those people of Egypt. I mean, who am I that I should do this? Is that an excuse that some of us have? You feel like God's compelling you to do something for your neighbors, to share Christ with someone in your family, to step out of your comfort zone, to bring justice to the world and to help out. But how often do we become crippled just by that very thought? Well, who am I to say anything? I mean, I've got so many weaknesses in my own life. And, you know, God, I, I, I just, I don't have any kind of reputation amongst the people in my work. And, you know, I just, I, I, I who am I? Who am I? I'll tell you what, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, we get privy to the fact that the enemy 
is battling against us that call ourselves believers and we get privy to the fact that the enemy is concocting schemes against us. Ephesians chapter six. A scheme, a game plan, an idea of how they can trip us up. Do you think for the last two weeks, the two football teams that are playing tonight, the Patriots and the Seahawks, don't you think they've been kind of studying each other's game tapes, coming up with a game plan, coming up with these different schemes so that they can can win the game? The enemy is doing the same thing with us. And you wonder if this isn't one of his big schemes right here. Man, if I could just convince the people of God that they, they don't have any kind of authority or confidence. They, they've, they've got nothing to stand on in order to share Christ. So we've, if we can just convince them to just kind of keep it to themselves and keep it to their life group and keep it to their little Bible study. That's where Moses was. Who am I? I don't have any kind of accolades. I don't have any authority. Well, God tells us that we do have authority. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says that you, that is us, that Christians, Paul writes, are ambassadors of Christ. You know, an ambassador is somebody that a government sends over to another nation to represent that government. So God's saying to us as the church, you guys are the ambassadors. You are my representatives. I want you to be the ones to represent me, God is saying. That's a high and lofty, honorable, joyous, incredible, humbling position. The book of Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says this, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. God has made us his sons and daughters. He's given us an incredible inheritance and he says, I want you to rule with me. You're an heir to this kingdom of mine. God has given us an incredible opportunity so that we should have all the confidence in the world in who God is. You'll notice that it says up here the beginning to all of Moses' excuses and the beginning to a lot of our excuses. I am not. Fill in the blank. We'll continue to read here in verse 13 and and, and God's gonna open our eyes up to something. Well, Moses says to God, okay, well, if I come to the people of Israel and go say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What am I gonna say to him? Again, he's not confident. Verse 14, but God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God, for the very first time in all of revealed scripture, reveals to Moses the name that he will be known by forever, and that name is I Am. And it's such a unique name to us because that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to us in our Western thinking, speaking in English, etc. But the, the word is basically a form of the verb to be. But it's a continual thing. So again, think about the the fire that Moses just saw, the same idea. I am means I didn't have a beginning. Nobody started to fuel me. I've just been fueling myself. I am, I was before, nobody started me. I was then, I am now, and I forever will be. No beginning, no end. It's just I am. That is my name forever. 
And so that obliterates any of the excuses that we can come up with, right? Let's go ahead and read the second one. Skip down a little bit to uh, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. The dialogue goes back and forth. Not only does uh, Moses say, I'm not confident. The second one that he says is, I am not able. Physically, I am not able. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Remember what Brian was talking about several weeks ago when he's talking about fear and the greatest fear for most people, even more highly listed than death, is what? Public speaking. And that's what Moses is being like, oh Lord, you know me. <laughs> I always get tongue-tied. I always say the wrong thing. And like when I get up in front, I mean, the only people that I can communicate to are sheep and goats and cows. That's all who I've been hanging out with last 40 years. Who am I? I mean, I just do not have that physical ability to get up. I'm not smooth with my thoughts. I mean, I'm just a, I'm just a redneck farmer. I wonder how many excuses we have. I am not able to do this. But look at what God's response is. This is so huge. Look at what God's response is here in verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. I just love how the response to Moses' excuse is the character of God. I know who you are, and I made you. Who made your mouth? It was me. Who gave you that characteristic? Who gave you that affinity? Who sees those weaknesses? It's me. And God's saying, if I made you and I know you and I'm calling you to do something, he says, I will tell you what to say at that moment. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you step out on faith, when God calls you to something great, he is not going to leave you in that moment. If he's the one that called you, he's the one that's going to provide. He's the one that's going to tell you what to say. And I love the New Testament version of this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who, again, were not polished, you know, communicators. But he says, when they, that is the enemy, the Romans, deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that very hour. Matthew Chapter 10, verse 9. So it's not, oh, disciples, here's exactly what they're going to be asking you when they throw you in prison. Here's, here's what it's going to look like, and here's what to say at that moment. He says, now, when you get arrested and, and when that time comes, just be listening. Because I will tell you what to say at that hour, at that moment. And you think about the beauty of this passage, and I just want to, Lay out this question to you. What if, what if Moses and all of his I am nots had gotten the best of him? And what if he just decided, yeah, you know what, God, that's okay. I'm just going to stay here and be content. That would have been the easy route. Let somebody else go and represent this all-consuming, incredibly powerful God. I just want to hang out right here and see the rest of my years just like this. 
You know what Moses would have missed out on? He would have missed out on seeing God bring the 10 different plagues to the people of Egypt and seeing how masterfully the God of the Hebrews matched each plague to one of the Egyptian gods. These weren't just random things, gnats and frogs and and boils and everything else. All of these correlated directly to the Egyptian gods. So God was basically saying, okay, you're going you're gonna to have a hardened heart. And you're not going to let my people go. I'm going to prove to you my power over all the Egyptian deities that you have there. The water of the Nile turning to blood. Osiris was the Egyptian god of the Nile, and it was said that the Nile was his bloodstream. So God proved that he was greater than Osiris. It goes on and on and on. The darkness was aimed at the Egyptian god Ra, the sun god. So he and the darkness was greater than what the Egyptian god could do. And it goes all down the line. If Moses hadn't stepped out, he wouldn't have seen those miracles. He wouldn't have seen the waters part. He wouldn't have experienced the manna. And the water that God provided for them in the wilderness. He wouldn't have experienced the tent of meeting where it says, Moses used to meet with God like a man talks to his friend. So it could have been a life of comfort if he accepted and allowed all of these I am nots to define him, but instead he stepped out and experienced the incredible power of the great I am. I love his last excuse here in verse 13. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter 4, Moses says, But he said, Oh my Lord, please just send someone else. The last excuse we want to talk about is he says, I am not motivated. I am not motivated. All right, God, yep, I got it. You'll be with me. Okay, fine. You made my mouth. Awesome. Great. You'll provide whatever. I just don't want to go. I don't have that desire. I don't have that passion. I don't have it in me. I don't have that will to step out and to do it. I just don't want to do it. How often is that a sobering excuse that has entered into many of our lives? You see God at work or you sense that maybe God wants to do something or you have these dreams uh, and a vision of something huge and great that God wants to do in your neighborhood or in this city or in your school system or amongst your family or something, but you're just like, oh, I just don't want to because this comfort is just so comforting. Not motivated. God responds to that attitude with some anger. He had been patient with Moses through all these excuses, but this one seemed to put him over the edge. Keep on reading in verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Little side note, isn't that funny that God's like, Have you heard of Aaron? I know that he can speak well. Like, man, if you've made an impression on God with your speaking ability... That's pretty impressive. Behold, he is coming to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. He's going to be willing. He's going to be able. Verse 15, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both 
what to do. And you know what's going on there? Now all of a sudden, it's a community effort. It's no longer, okay, just Moses, your, your talents, your abilities, I want you to do this. No, it's Aaron coming into the picture as well. Moses, you can't speak, that's okay. I've got Aaron who otherwise was just bored. He's waiting in the wings. Moses, this is your opportunity to see my glory and to bring somebody else alongside to experience it as well. It happens in community. You see that? And Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, oh, well, there's so many things that I am not. I am not this, I'm not that, I'm not talented, I'm not creative, I'm not detailed, I'm not, you know, whatever it is. But maybe there's somebody else in this community that's also waiting to be displaced waiting for their opportunity to use their talent, to use their ability that God gave them to do something incredible. Do we have passion this morning? Do we have motivation? Do we have desire? My prayers, I was thinking about this text in this context is that God would just infuse our church with a pure and holy passion. You see examples of zealous people in Scripture. And you certainly saw that in Moses later on, right? When he came down with the, with the Ten Commandments and he saw the people that were worshiping the idols and he smashed them down in anger because he had now been fully convinced that this great God is worth worshiping and it broke his heart to see all these thousands of people worshiping another God. Does it break your heart when you see people chasing after things that are less than God? You even think about Jesus and looking over the city of Jerusalem in his final week and it says that he wept over the city as he saw the people around and I've been to that mountainside where you come down and you can see into the temple and you can see all of the people there scurrying around paying their money for their sacrifices in a system that he was coming to destroy and he wept over the city. God going to raise up some people from this church that are going to weep over the city of Apex, weep over the city of Cary and Mooresville and Durham and Chapel Hill as you see people chasing after things that are not truly going to satisfy. Are you going to let that move you? Pure and holy passion, breaking our hearts for the things that break God's heart. Getting us excited and fired up for the things that gets God excited and fired up. That's the kind of people we want to be. I love the name of God, and as we're closing, I just want us to dwell on this thought. There's an author by the name of Louis Giglio. He's a speaker. He's an author. About 15 years ago, he wrote a book that so incredibly encapsulated where we're going about these concepts. And the name of the book was I am not, but I know I am. So what do you mean by that? Well, if his name is I am, like we've talked about, then our name automatically must be I am not. And so there's an element of freedom in this concept that says, okay, well, Moses was so full of I'm not eloquent. I don't have ability. I don't, I'm not motivated. I'm not all these different things. That was his name. And, and encapsulated right here is, yep, that's, that's our name. I am not, I've got all the excuses in the world, but I know that there's a God whose name is I am. 
And so I propose to you this morning, as we look at this, that we take these guys right here out of the equation. And we don't focus on all the things that we aren't. But what we focus on this morning, instead of piling up our excuses, is the name of the one who is. And I've crafted a series of statements as I was thinking about our people, all the excuses, all the things that we can come up with as to why we don't want to do what God wants us to do, why we don't want to enter into that Kairos moment, why we don't want to be displaced into something unsafe. All the excuses in the world can all be answered with his name. So think about these. Maybe you're asking yourself the question, all right, well, who is really there when I'm all alone? I am. Who will be there when everybody else lets me down? I am. Who's possibly able to figure out this mess? I am. Who's ultimately in control anyway? I am. But what about my kids? What about their future? Who's looking out for them? I am. Who could possibly be strong enough to help me untangle the mess that is my life? I am. But you really don't know my past. Who would be willing to see all that and still forgive me? I am. He always has been. He's here with us now. And he always will be. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the bread of life. He is the door. He is. And we're not. So God, I just pray this morning that all of our excuses would fade away. God, I pray this morning that you would just help us cut through the fog of what we can't see. And God, that all these things that are right in front of us that are keeping us from doing what you want us to do would just fade away. God, we don't have any other solution this morning but you and who you are. So I just pray that we would rest in that this morning, God. That we would rest in that. In your son's name we pray.